Hello and welcome to this week's French Football Weekly podcast, the only podcast out there that's quite happy with its management. More on that later. <laughs> I am your host, Chris, and uh, this evening I have got with me, you've heard of that, I've got Phil on the buttons. and Hello. Hello, Phil. And I've got the two gents as well. We're a happy foursome this week. Um, that's an unpleasant image, but still. Hello, Jez. Hello, Rich. Hello. Hello. Uh, right, let's uh, get down to it then. Mixture of international and domestic action to cover this week. Well, preview action of domestic, really, and plenty of managerial talk. We're going to start with the international action first. And uh, France's two games since we last recorded. We will start in chillier climbs. Iceland nil, France one. Um, although back on the 11th of October, a whole four days ago. Uh, Jess, I shall start with you on this one. Um, France... Fielding the 4-3-3, despite the uh, concerns about um, one Olivier Giroud not getting game time due to his club issues, he started and he got the winner from the penalty spot after what I would say was a slightly dubious penalty, to say the least, um, when Griezmann was chopped down. What was your overall thoughts? Uh, question of job done or a little underwhelmed? Uh, job done, definitely. Uh... I'm trying to remember the ISA match now. It seems so long ago with another one in between. But yeah, effectively dropped on. Iceland didn't really create much of their own at all. They came to, even though they were at home, they were there to more or less defend in numbers. Um, So it wasn't an easy match. It wasn't easy for for France to break them down. But at the same time, this this is Iceland's first home defeat in qualifying for six years. Um, that France had at least five regular starters out of the lineup, including their captain. As you mentioned, Giroud is obviously the issues of the game time at, um, at Chelsea. Um, from what I've seen of Griezmann at Barcelona this year, he might as well not be on the pitch the way the rest of his team are treating him and him being exiled to the left wing. So I felt like as the match went on, you could sort of tell in the first half that they were both rusty. Um, by the end of the match, as usual, Griezmann was was running everything going forward, coming back and doing as good a defensive job as most of the defence as well. Um, and as as ever, it was it was Giroud's knockdown that led to Griezmann winning the penalty. And then with him off the pitch with a dead leg, it was Giroud who put the penalty away. So um, clearly, t- the two of them yet again had had the big say in the win. And um, you know, I'm sure a lot of Deschamps haters, which we'll probably go into more depth on very shortly, um, will will say, "Well, it's not good enough for the World Cup. We're the world champions, and we've got this huge strength in depth and everything, so we shouldn't be scraping one nil wins in Iceland." But they're idiots. Um, <laughs> it was a it was a very good win. It was very business like. There weren't any sort of um, you know heart in mouth moments and and they just got on with it and came back with the three points yeah yeah well said um phil what's your what's your kind of overall thought as well on, in terms of this because it is one of those games where you almost just want to go out there and get the result irrespective of yep. and i think um um at that round what you saw was obviously france and turkey are vying for top spot and turkey uh won 1-0 at home against albania in what was also quite a narrow, um, uh, tight game, you know, it, this is this is the stage of things where 
you have to get things done and they did i mean when um the penalty was awarded and um Giro is stepping up i have this whole you're letting olive take a penalty it's a bit like you let dougal do a funeral uh, which i think um uh, several other people on twitter uh, uh kind of were of the same mind he's got better recently because uh, obviously i'm a montpellier fan and yeah he was a bit iffy on them um back when he was play- playing for us but you know he was there it got things done i think it was functional given how many players were absent this was a functional team and uh, Deschamps made it work. Wasn't the most amusing or entertaining game in the world. I think we were just saying before we kicked off, I was kind of watching, but then kind of dropped off a bit. Um, but at some point, you're going to have those games. And they they got through it, and that was solid. Not massively reassuring, but solid. Mm. Yeah, and, and uh, Rich, I think both Phil and, and Jez have sort of summed up my thoughts in terms of performance-wise. But with regards to the, the, the sort of the, the lineup and, and how is this kind of 4-3-3 set up, it, it was kind of full-strength side, wasn't it? There, it wasn't like there was any players that were, were left left out. I mean, obviously Van Donder coming in in goal. Nobody was, was sacrificed. It was very much kind of a, we need to go out there and win this game. Is there a slight element of it was only 1-0 for you or are you in the same camp as, as the other two? Well, it, it was full strength apart from, as Jess said, the players that were out injured, of which there were numerous. And as again, as, as, as Jess said, the, the fact that Griezmann's clearly not found his feet yet at Barcelona for varying reasons and Giroud's playing so little uh, at Chelsea. So there was rustiness. There was the fact it wasn't... The you know the preferred first eleven, but you know they they're still you know very experienced players. They're still players that can go out there and get the job done. Um, we're still seeing the likes of Talisos obviously coming back from a long term injury as well. Coman with all his injury troubles as well. Um, so there's a lot of caveats to it, but ultimately it it was a professional performance. There was nothing I don't think of any any alarm. Um, they dominated. Yeah, it could have been more, but. You know, you sit, you sit after the game, and you think you got three points. You won away at Iceland. They don't really lose at home to uh, in, in qualifying games. Certainly recently, um, since they sort of found their found their form around the Euro uh, Euro twenty sixteen. So, um, I think all in all, I, I don't think there's too much to complain from that game. Um, as as Jess said, there are plenty of people that will nitpick and will want more and want more, but. As we, we always say with Deschamps, he's a results coach. And, and would you rather, you know, flashy performances, flashy you know, flashy showings, but not get not necessarily get the wins? Or would you rather he just go out there and get the result? Well, I think we'd all take the result any time and every time. So, um, all in all, I don't think there's too many complaints that can be taken from that game. Um, you know, there's, there's perhaps a few more that come on to the following game, but... In terms of that performance, I don't think you could have asked for much more than to come away from Reykjavik with all three points. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, it is indeed where we um, seamlessly come on to that, that next game. Um, Jez, I'll, uh, I'll start with you on this one as well. Turkey, 
getting a 1-1 a draw in, in the Stade de France just last night, in fact, at time recording. Um, it was a really weird one, this, because it was a game that, that I personally felt France probably should have been in front by the half the half-time mark, if not one or two up. Um, certainly were, were fairly comfortable. Turkey started well but faded. And then sort of the old issues came back to roost a little bit. Giroud scoring with the opener, having literally parachuted off off the bench to be a hero, as he so often does. We'll discuss him in a second in a bit more depth. But I just felt that the set-piece defending Pavar was a bit at fault and, and the, the, the foul, ironically, that, that Griezmann gave away. I was just about to praise, praise his shithousery for that challenge, breaking up the play. And then wouldn't you know it, Turkey going to score from the free kick. Was it one of those games where ultimately qualification won't be affected by it? But is it just a warning that you go 1-0 up, you can't be complacent? Do you, do you think that's fair, Jess? Yeah, I think it probably is. I mean, it was, <laughs> Griezmann's um, post-match uh, interview or quote that's sort of been widely distributed, I think sort of sums up the match. He kind of went, yeah, I'm a bit angry, we're a bit sad, it's all a bit weird. <laughs> Um, and that was probably quite a good review of the match. I mean, I think it, the first half, certainly sort of from the 15 minutes to the to the to half time, France were completely dominant and Turkey's keeper pretty much kept them in the match. Mm. Um, I think, again, I, I, I don't think, I think it's insane that I don't think there's another manager in football that gets so much stick after one bad result let alone a manager who's the reigning world champion and it's just it's absolutely ridiculous the way that people are just waiting for any opportunity to to have a go at Deschamps but yesterday was one of those matches where possibly obviously what do I know but I would have maybe done something different to him and I saw someone at one point tweet surely there has to be a better right winger available than Sissoko um, and I think if it hadn't been Sissoko playing on the right wing in the first half, France may well have been a couple of goals up. He, he got himself into some great positions and then just really didn't know what to do with it. And it wasn't even, sometimes it was his touch, but often it was just like you could sort of see the cogs very slowly whirring. And by the time he decided what to do, it was too late and a great opportunity had been spurned. Um, so that was frustrating. Although at the same time, I understand why against, you used, you used the term shithousery earlier. I mean, Turkey are a filthy bunch of players. And um, I, I don't have any issue with, with um, uh, Deschamps sort of um, airing towards someone who, who's, who's strong and, and not going to take any shit in that team. Um, considering there's some other players in there who maybe are a little little lighter and a little less experienced. Um, but yeah, that, that was a frustration. And then the second half, I think, although France was still sort of looking for opportunities, I think they, they ran out of ideas slightly. And I think he should pro- Deschamps probably should have made changes a little bit earlier on. Mm-hmm. Ben Yedder, whether it's his fault or um, lack of service, I think maybe a little bit of both. He He was just completely there was no point having him on the pitch. So I think they definitely could have done with Giroud coming on a little bit earlier and possibly the way they they ultimately changed it up by bringing Sissoko inside, bringing Lamar on and swapping Komen round. I mean, the, 
the reason for it all in the first place was Deschamps wanted to keep Coman on the left, and he was very effective combining with with Griezmann in the first half. It just didn't didn't result in a goal. So he was, you know, I know it sounds stupid, but obviously goals change matches and change results and change people's views of matches. I think had they nicked a goal in that first half, everything that Deschamps did probably would have been vindicated. Um, as it as it goes, they didn't. Everything else unfurled the way it did, and and then it's easy to to question what he should have done. But the bottom line is, the main thing was not to lose both in terms of sort of reputation of of letting Turkey win the double over them, um, and also obviously being very much in touch for qualification. It would still be a massive shock if they weren't to qualify, and it's a bit frustrating that it didn't happen last night. But um, it should still happen in the next match or two, and and. You know, I, I don't think uh, th- these two matches together, I think, were on paper by far France's toughest sort of international break. I hope those words don't come out to bite me after the next two. But you know, away to Iceland, home to Turkey with five first team regulars out was always going to be tough. Um, and even though France are the world champions, I don't think four points out of six is, is, is such a bad thing at all. I don't think it's to be sniffed that. It could have been a lot worse. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And Phil, what about the the man of the moment, uh, Big Olivier Giroud? Um, I've been trolling yeah. people seamlessly on Twitter about us calling him the GOAT because it's great fun. <laughs> um, but, I mean, he, he, he consistently does it for France and, and yeah. nobody can question that. And he's... Well, those, some he's, people do. Well, yeah, but, but as we as we've seen with many of the comments on um, kind of the the selections, <laughs> and I think what obviously what we saw from these two games was in the second game there were two changes. Ben Yedder started instead of Giroud, and Hernandez started instead of Dean, and that's it. Deschamps is not going to be messing with his system or his preferred group too much. Um, but as Jess said, I think given uh, that Gunok um, was great in goal for Turkey for the first kind of hours, hour or so, at that point you've got to be thinking, make a change, bring him on, do something. And maybe it was left a little late. Obviously he still did the business when he came on, but then it was very shortly after that, that Turkey equalised. So I think Giroud works very well in Deschamps' system. And it's not to do with, in a sense, who's the uh, speech marks better player in any environment. Everything's about context. And Giroud works really well in the context that Deschamps has set up for France. And when we look forward to the next round of games because Turkey and France are now equal on points in the group. Turkey on top on, I don't know what, because goal difference is the other way around. But Turkey have to play Iceland. Yeah, Mm. and France at home against Moldova. You've got to be seeing that as a chance for France to really push forward um, on that one, because Iceland, as we know, um, can cause some problems. So, yes, it would have been obviously ideal for France to come through, but looking at the stats, I'm trying to get XG figures on this because I reckon they'll be hilarious, but 
France had like 64% possession. They had 89% pass completion as opposed to 76. 23 shots to five, nine on target to one. It, it was a frustrating watch um, that Turkey got that equaliser back because France were putting so much at it. But it just didn't click uh, in this case. So I think there's slight concern there about just the efficiency. But not necessarily, I'd say, about the system or the players, but it just didn't work that time. Um, so whether you say it didn't work two times over the 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 whole break, the, the two games, there were a lot of players out. Yeah. But I think it's a case that we, we need to say, okay, we can rationalize that, but let's not rest too much on Lovells um, because it does need to get better going forward but I think uh, we can reasonably expect that it will mm. Yeah, I, I, I think it, it's one of those performances I, I, I'm scratching my head slightly about it Rich, I'll bring you in here, what was your thoughts, on, I'll kind of break it into two sections, um, the obvious sections attack versus defence because it felt like France created a fair amount, and they seemed to get in behind Turkey a lot, but but struggled for that that finishing touch or that final ball. And then defensively, I don't know whether maybe I'm being harsh, but I just I just never really felt particularly secure. And, and that goal that Turkey scored w- seemed to be always coming. I thought France would do enough to win the game, but I never thought they'd keep a clean sheet. What, what was your kind of view on attack versus defence in, in in terms of that game specifically? Well, in terms of attack. One thing that struck me, probably over both games actually, was from a from a negative point of view, was the lack of quality from from out wide from France. Um, you know, I look at the the fullbacks and look at the wide players, and I just thought that the the balls into the box, especially when Juru was on the pitch, just weren't necessarily of the quality. I think mean, Griezmann suffered, I think, with a few corners, certainly in the Iceland game, um, and obviously it was it was from a, a Griezmann cross that the Drew goal came from, and but that was a rare moment of quality from a ball into the box. And if you're going to play Giroud, you know he is a player where you can you can put quality into the box, and he has the ability to create space or just use his strength to to create a chance. So that was a little bit concerning that that quality was really really lacking. Um, in terms of the defense defensive side of things. One thing I've noticed, and it's not just over these recent games, but perhaps the last few, is Pavard is slightly starting to look like the centre-back playing at right-back that he seems to be. You know, he's he's been pretty vocal that he prefers to play in the middle um, at the back. He's He was sort of the square peg round hole during the World Cup, and, and, and boy, that worked obviously hugely successfully. But I have started to see just moments where you, you can see his his issues his deficiencies as a as a as a fullback doesn't necessarily have the pace doesn't necessarily have that eye on I mean we saw it on, with the with the Turkish goal he didn't necessarily follow the the man as he should have done I'll I'll move on from the fact that it was offside but we'll we'll skip that but that's my concern. Is was was just it was the quality I think of of the balls into the box going forward. I think it's just yeah, as you say, 
moments where they perhaps switched off at the back. Longley, I think, after the match, even said that we were aware of the quality of, that, that Turkey could put into the box, and we just didn't deal with it as we should have done. And ultimately, it led them. It led to the goal, and they, they were they were subsequently punished for it. So. You'd like to see areas like that improve. Longley's obviously very new still to international football. Um, not saying actually that the goal was totally his fault either. Actually, you know, I think it was pretty big of him to come out and say that because I don't think he was to blame for that. Um, I did see someone actually brought up quite an interesting point. For all the issues we have, I think, I mean, some of them are slightly bigger than others, but of all the issues that we have with Benjamin Mendy and his defending, I think what he can bring in terms of going forward is is perhaps something that France are and, and, and have been lacking for. That sheer power to run forward, that up and down, up and down, that left wing consistently. His quality, you know, he can deliver a superb cross and the quality that he can produce is that it actually would be, it would be quite nice to see him, obviously he's back now and he's playing, but regain that fitness, stay fit, play regularly. I would quite like to see him back into the French setup because I do think, as I say, for all the, the, the sort of concerns that we have over his over-exuberance, shall we say, um, the, the, the attacking side that he brings, I think is perhaps something that we, we, we do lack. Um, I think we lack, obviously, some. we've known this for a while, the issues at right-back and Pavard is, 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 was the, the, man for the, the man for the moment that just sort of did the job. Um, I do think we need to to settle on somebody who naturally plays in that position. Now, Dubois might be the player. He doesn't necessarily screen world-class, but you don't necessarily need to be world-class. You just need to be very good at, at what your, your role and your position demands of. Um, so they're the areas, I think, that can be looked at, can be worked on. Um, but, you know, we're, we're really nitpicking, I think. It's... it's you know, it's no, these are absolutely, these are not the games that we judge any players on and their future on. We don't judge Deschamps on, you know, if you're making a judgment call on Deschamps based on a, a 1-1 draw at home to Turkey, then, you know, you're in the wrong job in terms of watching and commenting on, on football. So, um, there are areas to look at. There's nothing massively concerning. It's just tweaks here and there that, that will come and these things happen. It's, it's part and parcel of the game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, we should say as well, uh, happy birthday to BD, um, and indeed the legend that is David Trezeguet as well today. Um, it's weird, isn't it? I get all nostalgic when I see tweets from like Euro 2000 and, and the good times, Robert Perez running down the left and, and all that. Yeah, a little nostalgic um, lunge into there. But still, yeah, I, th- I think we probably all agree that qualification is still fine. It's just uh, just that. Ever so slight worry about um, consistency of results, maybe, or taking the foot off the accelerator slightly with the Euros. It's weird. It is fast approaching, isn't it, next summer? So it just just kind of gives you that little jolt, maybe. That um, well, that that's exactly what it is. I think, and that that's all it that's, that's all it needs need, to be, and that's maybe, what it yeah. should be. Is just that that reality check. Um, you know, you can't rest on your laurels. You can't just sit on the fact that you're world champions. You do need to be proving it, and proving it isn't necessarily winning every game four nil, five nil, and performing scintillating, playing scintillating football. It's getting the result. Now we know that that's 
as I said before, that's 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 what Deschamps is best at. And this is this is just a it's just a minor. I mean, if you can call it a setback, but it's just a minor, just a gentle tap on the derriere, shall we say that uh, <laughs> that they 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 can't afford to completely take their eye off the ball and. You know they will play bigger and better teams than Turkey, but Turkey were very physical, as Jess said. Um, they had bought a lot. Good. They had bought a lot of fans. Mm. Um, for, I'll get I'll get moaning here, but as I said, the Turkish goal was offside. France were denied a penalty just prior to the just before the Giroud goal. Um, all things that we can gripe about now, and it's always good fun to have a moan. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's it's just a, a little reminder. I think that's all it is. It's nothing more serious, nothing more um, sort of doom and gloom than that. It's just a little nudge to say, look, wake up, guys. Yeah. There's one more set of games in November and France are playing Moldova and Albania. And yes, Turkey, I've got Iceland and then Andorra. You can weigh up which are the most kind of uh, important there. But if France pull themselves together and concentrate, they should be fine. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's what needs to be remembered. Again, yeah. I know like, people, people always say the table doesn't lie and all things like that, which is fair enough. But it does happen in a sort of short group stage that there are anomalies. I mean, I know it was kind of during Dominic and I think and, and things going very awry. Maybe it wasn't Dominic, but you know there was there was that time when when Scotland did the double over France. Um, as, as both matches, France dominated and just couldn't score, and, and Scotland hit them with. Remember, one of them was a, I think it was a James McFadden goal from about thirty yards or something. So <laughs> yeah, things happen, and and you know the Turkish yeah. manager yesterday said France were the better team. They certainly weren't mm. in the first match, but yesterday they were. Turkey have had at least two last-minute winners now in the group. These things happen. The main things to go through, a first place would help because there is an article on Lecky explaining all the ins and outs and why oh, it's much better to, to finish top of the group. But really, the very main thing is just to get through. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's not like this is um, an endemic problem, like I was talking about the stats. 23 shots to five is okay. This isn't the kind of endemic problem we saw with, for example, the French women's team um, going back over um, the, the pre diacre era, as it were. You know, this isn't something that happens a lot. So it doesn't seem, it's not a, like a congenital problem or anything. I think it's something they can pull themselves together, get everybody back together, push forward and, and go for qualification. Max, that's that is ultimately um, at the risk of going down a very dark tunnel, which I won't go down. Ask England fans uh, what um, what it's all about. It, you you can make yourself look incredible by qualifying for every single tournament, but it's ultimately what they do next summer that that comes mm. about to to see where this ends up. And I don't think personally there are many teams that are still at France's level even since the World Cup win. I still don't think there's any team that scares me. I think Spain will be better. Uh, the Dutch are a lot better, seemingly. The Germans will, will be the Germans. They will either massively crap the bed or they'll go all the way to the final and win it. You just never know. Um, and England will inevitably fall to the best first team that they meet in the tournament. Of course, don't at me. Um, Can I just... The only, the only thing, just because you asked Rich about 
defense and attack. Yeah. I'm just going to do the little bit in between. Um, <laughs> the only bit that I thought was slightly frustrating, I thought Talisa and Sissoko were excellent in the middle mm. of the first match. The second match was, was, was slightly different. But the only slight frustration, Talisa was ever a beautiful sort of long-range diagonal passes. But from, from both players, I didn't think, certainly Sissoko, obviously. Talisa, I think, maybe was just a little bit shy and didn't try enough i didn't i didn't think he was adventurous enough mm. there wasn't quite enough sort of short sharp um passes along the ground looking to you know verticality trying to get it forward to, to quickly to, to griezmann and Giroud. and they could have done with a bit more of that and i think that might be one bit one area where, where pogba was missed quite a lot yeah but yeah. again as rich said it's just quibbles generally i think everything was you fun. um you win the points for best word used in a podcast. Verticality is quite <laughs> up there this week, so you win win the teddy bear. I feel um, dirty using it. Yeah. Oh, I, I you, feel the opposite. You love you love it, Jess. Come on, word, say, the, the stats say, geekery. I'm going to say project again later as well. Oh, don't oh, say that. Oh, Polyvalence. <laughs> seamlessly into league we go. Uh, <laughs> projects. Um, so if I had said to you last week oh, um, that a certain gentleman by the name of Rudy Garcia would pitch up as the, the new manager of, uh, or new coach, as I'd say, of Leon, I'm sure you would have all have, have probably chuckled and then maybe paused for a second, looked up from your furrow brow and gone, actually, I can kind of see why that's happened. Um, I mean, where do we begin on this one? Well... I'm I'm regretting the title we I gave to last week's pod, which mm. was managerial merry-go-round part I don't know seven hundred thirty-six or something, because it's it's continuing, it's spinning, it's spinning again. We've got Casanova out, Combari in, Silvino out, and then Garcia in. And what kind of amused me, I think Tom Williams put a tweet out, which was the official OL announcement which was weird above everything else he's just like yeah the ratio is there so much ire from the ol fans about this announcement and quite a lot of hilarity from the om fans uh, apart from the people um it's it's one of those where you go yeah kind of makes sense in footballing terms but not maybe in footballing terms and certainly not in political terms and and people seem cross very 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 cross yeah. and yeah it just it's a an odd one you're talking about Laurent Blanc you're talking about Mourinho and then it's Rudy Garcia well Laurent Blanc mm. apparently said that he or the, the, the talk is that he turned down the post because he believes he'll get the Man United job. I mean, to be honest, I think Rich and Jez could get the Man United job at the moment. So I don't really know what that says. But yeah, I don't know. It just seems like uh, ultimately, I know Marseille had their problems. I mean, that's the understatement of all understatements. Uh-huh. He didn't... I just, I, to say he didn't improve him probably is a bit harsh because they, they got slightly better. But Leon are, are known as... You know, one of the greats of French football, you know, the young, vivid attacking style. And then they brought in basically a coach who stank out Roma for 18 months and then made Marseille somewhat beatable and then slightly more unbeatable and then just crap again. I, don't, I just can't, I can't get my head around this one. Rich, help me out here. 
Um, yeah, no, I can't make a particularly. Sorry, I can't make. I can't make a particularly strong argument as to to why you would. I think in terms of why you would, I think unless you're willing to go all that way back to his time at Lille. Um, you know, that's that's the only way I can justify a basis of appointing him. I, but you that know, was as, a as, very specific. It was time and you, group of players. It's I'm like, not, that, that's uh, not. I'm not saying. I'm not saying yeah, that's yeah. that is my justification. I'm saying that that's the only thing mm-hmm. I could remotely use as some form of justification. You've got a coach who clearly things ended appallingly. I think at Marseille. Um, he didn't overly seem to want to be there. Players didn't seem to want him there. Backroom staff weren't supporting him. Him weren't supporting him. He wasn't supporting them. It all just sort of disintegrated. So, arguably, one of your biggest domestic rivals thinks we need a new manager. Who do we go? Oh yes, the bloke that our big one of our big rivals sacked. It makes it makes zero sense. And when you when you think that, or when you hear that potentially or, or rumoured one of the reasons why Blanc didn't get the job was because he supposedly wanted to bring in too many of his own people. Um, and I was trying to find the tweet because I saw a really good tweet about it the other day, was the fact that, you know, you look at new managers who've come in, uh, you know, Vias Boas brought in three, four, five of his own people. It's not uncommon for new managers it doesn't even need. You don't even need to be a big club or a big name manager. New managers bring in the staff that they want to work with, and if Laurent Blanc wanted to bring in, you know, Alain Bogossian or wanted to bring in Gasset or whoever Blanc wanted to bring in, you know, you trust that Blanc knows what's best. You've trusted Juninho over the course of the summer to bring an absolute calamity of a coach in, as it unfortunately turned out for Silvino. So. Why not let an experienced manager, experienced successful manager in Laurent Blanc trust that, uh, and, and that he, can, he knows who will be best to, to work alongside him? And the fact that they didn't and therefore a deal didn't really materialise and once it seemed that that was that way, then it just spiralled into a who's who of former Liga managers. You know, we see they obviously ended up with Rudy Garcia, but at one point, Jocelyn Gorvinek was was on the cars to take over. And you just felt there's clearly no plan on this. You know, Janino has clearly had his, his wings clipped. He's not, he's not having the final say um, on, on who the new coach will be. But you just think, Ola seems to have taken his off the ball because you just can't, for, the, for all the comments that, that, that uh, Garcia has made during his time at Marseille about Lyon, um, and just, I mean, you just have to look at the reaction of the Marseille fans. You know, they are they are in in absolute hysterics that Leon are, are obviously in the position they're in and have turned to Rudy Garcia to to get them out of it. Now, we could sit here in three months' time and we've all got egg on our faces and Garcia has turned it around and done a spectacular job at Leon. But you just have to think again, like they didn't have to make that risk to appoint Silvino in the summer. They didn't have to take the risk and, and, and appoint Rudy Garcia, who has not really performed either of his last two jobs. You just think, what's the expectation going to be now? And as Phil said, you just look at the, 
you know, from on one side you've got the hilarity of the Marseille fans laughing at, at Lyon, and then you've got the sheer bewilderment and frustration of the Lyon fans who were also wrongly in my mind, were also vocal in wanting Genesio out and wanted to see change, got the change, it hasn't worked out, and they've basically gone from Genesio who has got them, you know, top three for you know umpteen seasons in a row, it's felt to Silvino, who has seen the team slip, to ending up with Garcia, you know, it, it sort of feels like, you know, as an outsider looking in, as someone who, you know, was a, was a fan of Genesio and thought that he was treated you know, pretty unfairly at Lyon, it sort of feels like they've got what they deserve. Mm. Um, and, and so, you know, you would hope that everybody can make a success of it. Obviously, you know, you don't wish ill on, on many teams, um, but you just can't help thinking what's what's going to be the definition of success for Leon under Garcia because you've got a club that needs stability and need a coach who can get the results consistently and bring the performances up and get what he wants from the players. And then you've got the coach in Garcia who didn't really achieve that at either of his last two jobs. I just don't know where... I don't know why he's been appointed. I don't know where this goes. I think this is, um, they often say, you know, if you want to get the manager out, be aware of what you wish for, you know, get somebody in, have somebody in mind to replace them before you get shot. And it feels like this was a situation where, you know, Sylvania was being with them with no plan. And there was a very strange, um, uh, communique from Leon, wasn't it? About sort of 23 man committee deciding. It was because it was it like Europe, Europe, they were in European football for 20 odd consecutive seasons. It felt it felt like Olas had written it himself. It was a very strange statement, I think. And, um, Too um much cuts, yeah, but I think. There's a danger of having everything in one man's hands, which all us, who has been a very impressive leader of OL for for many years, may be starting to be a bit flaky. Uh, But then there's a danger of putting it out to committee in that bigger sense. I mean, it just felt like this was a kind of weird situation with the communicates i don't know um but yeah it's uh we will have something later in the week uh from Tarek. uh i think we're starting a new series Tarek interviews himself uh, about uh, the ol dealings um so look out for that because he's obviously all over this situation and He's as baffled as everybody else, frankly, which makes me feel better about myself. So thank you. I put I, I put a tweet out a, a couple of days ago to say, if there are any Leon fans out there, if the choice was take Genesio back or have Garcia in charge, would you take Genesio back? And interestingly, I had probably about half come back and say, absolutely bring Genesio back. And one guy came back and and, and rightfully put. He secured his Champions League football, podium mm-hmm. finishes and wasn't afraid or incapable of promoting and developing young talents and academy players. And then I had probably the other half were, no, don't want him back. I had one person 
slightly irrelevant, but one person say I wouldn't have him back. Genesio showed that he can't win titles. Um, not totally sure that that is is overly relevant for Leon. And then I had one person come back and say, effectively, it's like choosing between the plague and cholera. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> well, they, didn't, they didn't appoint Mourinho, so at least one of those is ruled out. Oh, um, God, you imagine Mourinho yeah. versus the LFP. We'd have to get Bureaucracy Corner back up as a weekly fucking um, column. Um, yeah, that, I'm just glad that's not happening. Would be a fun thing. Jez, I want to I bring you in here because you're, you're, um, you're silently sitting there um, <laughs> uh, thinking what on earth is he going to ask me? Well, I'm just going to drop another bomb on you. What success for Leon this season? What is Garcia's rhetoric? What does he have to do to, A, convince the supporters, um, which I suppose is obvious, win games, but you know what I mean. Um, and B, is this a long-term plan, i.e. this season's kind of already dead, we go again, or is there an actual plan, you think, in place for this season with a view to the future with Garcia's appointment? Um, Champions League is a must. I don't think that ever changes for Leo, mm-hmm. um, considering the other, you know, the relative wealth and means and reputation and history and everything else of all the other teams in the league. Apart from PSG, Lyon really should be aiming for second place year in, year out, I think. Um, And I think that's still doable. It's still very early in the season and everything is so um, sort of clumped together that, okay, they're still quite a bit behind second, but it's, you know, there's there's more than enough time to to make things up. And then... uh, Apart from that, the usual getting through to the knockout stages of, of this season's Champions League is a, um, I was going to say bonus. I mean, that's actually the one area where, where Silvino has kind of left Leo in a good position, I'd say. Um, and then uh, hopefully a, a, for them a, a good cup run and possibly a, a cup win. I don't think things, I don't think it's late enough for ambitions or objectives to change in any way. But I think the extra thing is that had Lyon had the same results this season, playing great attacking football and, and, you know, just a little bit of bad luck here and there, I think things would be different. I think the issue was that Silvino came out more often than not playing extremely defensively. You know, last year they, 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 they lost... 5-0 5-0 to PSG, but really went toe-to-toe and matched them for an hour. And then in the other match, obviously beat them. Um, this this time when they played PSG, they basically set out to try to get a 0-0 draw. Um, and I think there's been too much of that. And considering everything that I said about Lyon earlier, there's no they shouldn't sort of have any kind of inferiority complex against anyone except PSG. And even then, I think in the last, their record against them in the last couple of years has earned them the right to, to, to sort of meet them head on as well. The same in the, in the Champions League. And I think that was partly what did for, what did for Silvino. Rudy Garcia isn't known for necessarily for playing brilliant attacking football. I think he'd, he'd happily sort of grind out a stodgy result if need be. Um, and I think that that might be an issue again. I think, as Rich said, the Garcia appointment, as much as anything, is that um, is has been taken extremely badly by Lyon fans because they've 
they've appointed the person who was rejected or ultimately failed at one of their biggest rivals. And I think that, I think the Lyon fans are, again are kind of saying, but we're Lyon, what the hell, you know, we shouldn't be doing this. We're, we should have more self-respect. And so I think for Garcia to, um, to, to turn things around, I think he's going to have to also do it in style. So, I mean, they could do what they've done the last three years. They could qualify for Champions League. They could have half-decent runs in the Cup um, and a half-decent run in the Champions League. But I'm not, unless, unless he does something overtly better than anything that Genesio's done, I think he'll, he'll get, whether it's deserved or not, he'll get the same kind of stick that Genesio's always done. Because in the same way, and probably even more so, he's going to be starting with everyone very much against him. And those things that I've said should be the objectives, I think, are the very least that any Lyon fan would expect. So I think he's going to have to do a hell of a lot, much more than any of their past three or four managers in order, in order to turn it around. And I'm not sure that he's capable of doing that. Um, and in terms of whether it's short term or long term, I think, I mean, there's a lot of managers like that nowadays. Look at Lucien Favre already is struggling a little bit at, uh, at Dortmund to get the same kind of... Um, we actually did last year. We've spoken lots of times about how Bielsa is effectively a sort of short-term coach because he, he wears his players out. I think Garcia is the same. You mentioned how it ended badly at Roma. I, I vaguely remember it started with 10 wins in a row at Roma. Mm. He, start, he starts well, but he rarely finishes well. And it often finishes with sort of um, bitterness and arguments um, behind the scenes. Again, someone else you mentioned earlier, there's obviously obvious Mourinho comparisons there as well. Yeah. So um, I, can't, I can't really see it being a long-term one, even if that is everyone's intention right now. Mm. Um, and it's very... Yes, he's got... If the intention was to keep the existing staff and that Laurent Blanc didn't want that, and if the other option was Gourvenec, and yes, he doesn't have the European experience, on paper, I can kind of understand why Garcia would be a candidate, but I, I'm mystified that, that they didn't have any better options there. Mm. It's very, very strange to me. And all of this, and um, sadly, Sam Allardyce once again cruelly overlooked. It's a crying, <laughs> crying shame. Um, yes, um, well, Leon, uh, under, under the new stewardship of Garcia, start with uh, a game on Saturday against Dijon, so we should wait and see what happens. Um, just a quick mention of um, Antoine, uh, Antoine Kambare uh, returning. Uh, I presume we're all quite happy about this yeah. uh, about this announcement we all like him don't we anybody got anything they want to add to that he's a good coach and um, probably better aligned to sorting out that dressing room than Casanova maybe mm. over he's, a longer period of time he's a good, I think he's a good guy I'm not sure that he's a particularly good coach anymore and certainly it won't even if he keeps them up, it certainly won't be pretty to watch. I don't think Toulouse are going to no. win any new fans over the next. No, but the the bottom half of the table at the moment is um, Constantina. Three points mm. between everybody, mm. so they just have to be not shit, and they'll be all right. And he's pretty good at making teams be not shit. He's also quite good at looking quite quite similar to Danny Glover. Anyone ever noticed that resemblance? <laughs> I do think he's no. too old for this shit. 
we're all, we're all too old for this shit. <laughs> Try supporting the teams I do, honestly. I age by about 10 years every weekend. But... Well, that they'll be playing um, Lille at the weekend, which yeah. is probably going to be something of a... Uh, a trial. Uh-huh. One thing I one thing I would just say about Comboire is, yeah, as just said, as as nice a guy as he is, and you know, you can go back to how poorly he was treated at, at, at PSG. You look at his sort of form since then, and it's not been overly shout shout out out shout out aloud worthy. <laughs> I mean, you know, you look at what, what shout happened out to. Football. Shout outable, there we go. You look at Dijon when he was there and didn't have a particularly good time at Dijon, didn't overly have a particularly good time at Gangon, seemed to have a slightly more successful time at Lens. So I don't necessarily see it as an appointment appointment that gets Toulouse out of any, um, avoiding any, any relegation fight this season. Um, it has just said it's going to be another me- another messy season, and it's really frustrating for them because they're a team and a, a squad that, with the right management, could could be a whole lot more um, successful than they actually are. Because you look at the the youth setup they've got, the players that they can bring through. There's some really good players there, and you just feel if someone could just it just feels as though someone could just take the club a bit more seriously. Mm. Um, obviously, you know, as we've we've said before, whenever we've spoken about Toulouse, it's football isn't really the focus down there. It's 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 rugby territory. Um, but there's so you know, it's another club that's got a lot of potential that's that we're just not seeing, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, three managerial changes in in uh, space of a week slash ten days with Saint Etienne, of course, changing their coach as well. So it is obviously that period of time, so the international break, where people start to panic and reach for that uh, large button says that says do not panic. Um, but yeah, we shall see how those get on. Um, Can I just quickly add two more things about Garcia? You may. Um, in terms of sort of quickly trying to backtrack and win friends very quickly. First of all, in his in his press conference, Garcia made a comment about how um, when he sort of went to war, um, I guess in terms of press conferences and post-match comments at Marseille, he said he felt very much alone and unsupported. But he's very pleased that he's got Olas and Janino. But I think <laughs> mainly means Olas. Um, I like that. Yeah, because what you want is the president sniping at the league on Twitter. Mm. Have you oh, seen some of the messages he sends? I think he's great. I do, uh, I do too, but in a very... You wouldn't necessarily want him to be your uncle kind yeah. of situation. Yeah. And the the other one is I haven't seen the photo, but apparently there was a, a very very warm embrace between Rudy Garcia and Anthony Lopez, who mm. probably more than anyone else has borne the brunt of Garcia's nasty match conferences and possibly deserved them as well. So, um, yeah, I did see some comments from some Lyon fans who, of course, are big fans of Lopez, but even they said, you know, to get anywhere in football today, you've got to be a complete hypocrite. Yes. Yeah, I think that's probably fair, a fair point to, to mention, really. Um, and we should also mention that during the international break, 
because um, other than the France games, let's be honest, nothing matters. Um, but Neymar has picked up another injury. He'll be out for, uh, John Johnson's tweeted tonight, it's approximately another four weeks. So um, the return of Neymar in the Champions League will have to wait a bit further. Um, doesn't really affect PSG, or does it? I mean, Mbappe is still not 100%, but with sort of Di Maria, Riccardi, uh, the legend that is true promoting shouldn't be too much of an issue. They, they play Nice on Friday night in the weekend's fixtures, so probably a good test, if ever, um, to catch them off guard. This is Nice's opportunity, I, I, would, I would assume. Mm. Nice never, not in you sparkling just, form, though, You just so. don't, know, you don't know what form Nice are going to be in at the moment. No. Uh, you go back to their, their results since week two, and it's one lost, one lost, one lost, drew yep. lost. Exactly. Um, so it's it's still obviously early days in the in the new regime and new players bedding in, but they are a, a frightful team to try and predict what on earth you're going to get from them. Mm. Um, you know, I could sit here and make an argu- a reasonable argument as to how they could beat PSG mm. uh, on Friday night, but also I could also make an equally compelling argument that they'll get they'll lose four nil and have yeah. a man sent off. Yeah, it's yeah. Yeah, it's it's fun. If nothing else, it is fun. Um, yeah, not, if you, not 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 if you not if they're in your accumulator. <laughs> no, 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 that's true. Yeah. I, I Don't say, put Nice in your accumulator, kids. One to avoid. Um, I must admit, I did make a pretty penny on Turkey scoring last night, so I was pissed off and quite happy. Oh, you traitor! No, I I, no, I went we... I went both teams to score, not not on any results. So uh, I got that. I was just disappointed. Still a traitor. It happened so late, but yeah, hey ho. Um, Let's have a look ahead at, uh, obviously, Ligue 1 does come back into focus at the weekend. So we mentioned the Nice-PSG game on Friday night. Um, to be fair, this is a set of games where I would not be putting an accumulator on, frankly. No, there's a lot of... Um, They're all very kind random. of random. Yeah, yeah. We've, we've got uh, Lyon-Dijon is the first game on the Saturday, followed by the evening games of uh, Ramon Montpellier, Angers-Brest, metz Not. To lose Lille and Nîmes Amiens. Now Nîmes Amiens, I'm. That's, yeah, that's it's kind violence. of one I think might get violent, Hitch, but I'm still not betting on it. No. Um, Sunday we've got Bordeaux Saint Etienne, which, much like we just said previously with the other game, it's one of those. It'll either end up as a thrilling two-two draw, or, or it'll be just terrible, nil-nil um, fair. But that's a two o'clock Sunday game, which don't have. No, some of them are all right, I suppose. Um, Monaco Ren is that must win for both sides there, Rich? Underwhelming, yeah. underwhelming a co. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, that is very good. I like yeah, that. Ren's form is not green. Not, no, put it that way. So, yeah, we were top at one point this season. That's, that'll do. That'll do me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I do wonder. Um, speaking of teams that are our own, Mets, Nantes, Jez, are you, um, are you looking at this one with trepidation given Nantes' impressive start to the season? <laughs> Look at all of Mets' matches. <laughs> yeah, that's a Nantes are in very good form. Mets sort of showed some shoots of recovery against Atetienne and Toulouse and then kind of went back into their box in the last match. But they do look slightly better at home so I think they'll they'll give not a good match I don't think they'll be smashed but the form Nantes are in they've got to start as favourites yeah, yeah I mean and the, you're talking about the bottom seven 
are all on eight or nine points so it's not like anybody's adrift at this point now where no. certain people have pulled themselves together so fun fight isn't it um and rounding off the weekend's games i know this will surprise a lot of our regular listeners but marseille are playing on the sunday evening game i, I <laughs> struggle to remember the last time that ha- oh wait hang on no it was about a week ago can i can i just say that there is another fixture scandal in French football, which I think is an absolute disgrace, which is that Lens never, ever, I mean, Marseille occasionally, but Lens never play on a Friday night, and it's ridiculous. He's gone there, everyone. He's gone there. Um, You are right, though. It is fact, isn't it? They're always like the the Saturday, the Monday, the... um, You've actually transitioned nicely into something that we don't rarely do uh, um, on the pod, or don't do enough, probably. But I am just going to um, slightly just lean back in my chair and say that uh, have a quick league. Uh, uh, sorry, league de update. Um, the the mighty Lorient are indeed top of league. De, so I just wanted to um, flex a little while we have the opportunity. Uh, seven wins from ten, three points clear of the aforementioned Lons. Um, nice to see Sosho back up in third. I say nice to say. I'm not sure everyone agrees with that, but I think it's nice to see them back there. Uh, Ajaxio and Lahav make up the top five. Uh, with Trois, Osler, Gangomp, uh, Nolsey and Clermont in the, uh, the top 10 positions. Um, down at the bottom, though, uh, it would appear that um, the antics have, have won uh, certain Jeremy Menez and, and all his um, <laughs> friendly ladies of the night is not helping Paris SC very much. They're bottom five points, um, with Le Mans and Chateau also down there on six and seven, respectively. Khan, what has happened to Khan? I, I don't know. I haven't I... seen a lot of them, but... Uh, are they, they, did they part ways with their coach? Uh, I believe it was, it was, there was a lot of talk about it. I'm trying to try and check They parted ways with their coach in the summer. He, no, Dupraz has He's since gone to Belgium and been sacked from his team in Belgium after oh, yeah. 10 of his first 11 matches. Because Rui Almeida is the current coach, right? No, it's Dupraz has come in. Oh, it's Dupraz come in. So have I, have I have I missed a whole cycle of coaches here? Because I swore that um, I haven't been paying a massive amount of attention, but I'm pretty sure Dupraz is 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 the current coach. Right, I'm I'm, I'm making a plea now. We we need to schedule a league expert. We need to get to the bottom <laughs> yeah. of it. But, but, I mean, call, Mike, call somebody, get them to explain it to us. They, they've won one game all season. They played ten games. Uh, you know they're they're. they're on the verge of slipping into that relegation zone, they're one point above it. I mean, this this is crisis for for a club like that, surely. Um, but yeah, maybe we will we'll, we'll try and get somebody on um, at some point who um, who's been following Lee Dill with a little bit more uh, closeness, um, other than Lorient, which of course I do. But yeah, it's nice to see my um, my troops uh, on their way back. Hopefully, we'll be back with you next year, Jess, um, to reopen the one one player I wanted to mention about Lorient. One player I wanted to mention about Lorient was. Fans of goalkeepers who could have been oh, yes. something special, but sadly it hasn't happened for them. It's Paul Nardi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like many, 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 many years ago, in many iterations gone by, he was even in our, may it rest in peace, Le 50, um, <laughs> as, a, as a player to watch out for. And he really was. He then joined Monaco. Mm probably at the wrong time for, for him, mm-hmm. was then shipped out on loan to, to various clubs, including a, an ill-fated spell with Ren and like two seasons in, in Bruges with the, the Monaco sister club. Um, but finally relinquished himself from the, uh, the shackles of 
of Monaco and, and got the move in the summer, a permanent move in the summer to, to Lorient. And he's not looked back by the, look, by the looks of it. It's, uh, it's, it's five goals conceded in 10 games. So it's excellent to see him A, playing and B, playing well. Uh, and long may it continue because it would be nice to see him in Liga playing regularly and showing us all, you know, he, he was a player that were it not for slight mistreatment at Monaco could have could have really been could have really been something. Yeah, and it's ironic given the form of Benjamin Lacance. I mean he, he has to be fair, he has had some good games, but given what he's now going through at, at Monaco, it's almost like kind of role reversals for the two in terms of their trajectory. Um there is there is one player who's worth keeping an eye on uh, without going Le too fair. Say again? Is it Enzo Lefer? Uh I was gonna mention Wieser, Johan Wieser. Okay. Lorient, but um, I mean, if you want to pick out people, Jez, that's fine. I, I will, I will, I will open the door for you to um, to to pick out individual players if you wish. But no, he was the one I I looked at. Um, he, I think he's got is it nine goals this season? Uh, five goals this season. Sorry, I've given him a few extra there. there There's a uh, young young whippersnapper at Lorient as well by the name of Fabien Lebouin. Oh yes, he's at that youthful youthful project player, isn't he? Yeah. Who's only thirty-two? I would have had him a lot older than that. Has he got a Nigerian passport? That's what I want to know. Thirty-two. <laughs> it's nuts. But then I suppose the same could be said of Lorik Parrain. I mean, you look at him and you always you almost think he's forty-seven, and he's really not. So, yeah, um, there's a podcast. That's the hair. It is. It is. Um, Unfortunately, but... Perrin is playing more and more like he's 47. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably fair, yeah. Hilt, nobody will beat Hilton, of course. What is he now? <sighs> 42? I mean, that's that's a feat of modern archaeology, if ever there was something, isn't it? I mean, oh, the man is, the man's, a, the man's a monument to looking after yourself and doing life right. Doing good things, yeah. So, yeah. I think um, one other thing, just um, while we're on, uh, competitions we don't normally talk about is the Coupe de France is actually happening. Um, we've had the the fifth round was at the weekend and John Mainland, our, our man in the grounds, uh, has a wonderful piece up on the site about um, watching Le Palais versus Charré, uh, which was a seventh versus sixth tier, uh, I think, um, clash uh, near him. And he'll be keeping an eye out on uh, further Coupe de France uh, games until we get to the post-Christmas period when everybody starts paying attention and works out that, shit, yeah, this is happening and we all have to do um, yeah. 37 previews over a weekend. But no, it's um, it's been going since August and we're already, we got the fifth round is done. So um, uh, it's the seventh round when the Ultramar teams, uh, the overseas teams come in. Um, so we'll be looking out for that. But your your Bible for the Coupe de France at this stage is footnational.com. Uh, they are brilliant and they have as much information as you will find anywhere. Yeah, and the more information on on tournaments such as the Coupe de France, the better, because it isn't really uh, covered particularly well in, in foreign countries. So definitely check that out. Um, in a very rare, uh, very rare occurrence, um, I've actually been asked uh, cross podcast love here by one of my uh, my colleagues over on one of the other pods that I um, I do to ask um, so called French league experts. I don't know who they want me to ask here. I'm struggling, but um. I've been asked a, a question in relation to uh, Alex Lacazette 
and, and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Um, so we'll just do a very, very quick one on this one because I don't want this to turn into a, an Arsenal loving. But just quickly, um, the person I know, uh, not to you, Josh, wants to know where or how you would play the two together based on your knowledge of when they were in Liga. So in other words, how do you get the best out of those two in the same side? How do you play a formation that suits them both? Um, Rich, do you have a view on that briefly? Um, I think you can you can play them together, but you're at the risk of then not playing someone that cost you or getting the best out of someone that cost you 70 odd million pounds in, in Pepe. Um, you know, I mean, they, they've both got form of playing slightly wider. Um, if you were to play one down the middle, I'd probably play Lacazette down the middle and I'd let Aubameyang perhaps drift slightly wider on the on the left. But you, 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 if you were to get the best, I think, out of both of them, you're going to determine to play both of them together. I think you're probably going to have to start morphing that team into a, a, pretty much a 4-3-3. Um, if you get, if you if you are determined to, I have seen rumblings that maybe, maybe they might look at possibly cashing in on Lacazette in the summer. Oh no! Um, to, to sort of fill the other gaps that are so noticeable to even someone like me who barely watches English football now, the gaps in that Arsenal team are still noticeable. So I think, um, but yeah, I, I you know we, we we'd love to see them playing together. Um, you know, it's not gonna, it's not gonna harm Arsenal to get them both playing and both fit again. So, I think if you are if you are determined to play them together, I think you're going to probably need to play them in a four three three, unless you're willing to sort of limit the impact of Pepe. Yeah, mm. and you, you concur on that, um, Phil? Jez, anything? Any thoughts on Pepe as well? Uh, yeah, I I say the same thing. I mean, I think you'd need to play Lacazette. Through the middle, and while um, Obemiang was a fabulous pace down the left um, for uh, internationally as well as um, for his clubs, because after he left um, Liga, I didn't pay much attention apart from CAF. Uh, I think maybe he he's still rapid, but he's not as rapid as before. So maybe needs to be less of a winger and more of a forward. So, yeah, I mean, playing 4-4-2, though, doesn't really seem the Arsenal way. So, what Rich said, basically. Mm. And you on board the same, Jez? I'm, uh, I'm getting a little bit tired, maybe because of my, my league unbiased, but I'm getting a little bit tired of people saying that Pepe's a flop and, and you can't play Lacazette and Aubameyang together. I mean, surely you can find a way of playing those three like Barcelona do with their three or... No, but then you won't necessarily be able to, you know, defend or anything. But that's not something that will be new to you guys. So anyway, I'd like to see the Barcelona or the Liverpool model of playing Lacquer almost in the Firmino role and letting the other two just roam around freely. Um, do you think the same, Jez, or am I being a bit nuts there? Um, first of all, I just want to say I saw I saw a tweet yesterday during the England match um, from what I assume was a Spurs fan saying. Okay. Has Aubameyang ever had as match as complete as Harry Kane has just had for England? Ah, yeah, but he did write that 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 tweet in crayon using his feet. To be fair, so uh, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't take too much note. Christ. Um, yeah, um, yeah, I I think it's not obvious because I think 
I think Lacazette and Aubameyang probably do their best work down the middle. I think um, Aubameyang, I think Lacazette is capable of playing on the right, but it probably reduces his um, impact a little bit. Pepe should be capable of playing on the left, but it reduces his impact a bit. Same with Aubameyang. So um, I think Emery has to play all three of them together as much as he can and um, yeah, I, you alluded to Barcelona. I think all three players should be intelligent enough that they can find a way to play together and to, to move around. Mm. And, you know, the same way that Griezmann has been able to do in the past, that, that the Barcelona front three can um, have always been able to do. Um, if you want to have sort of, I think Obama Yang probably, and certainly in the form he's in, he's got to probably be favourite just to be a. a the centre forward right now, but I think both Lacazette and Pepe are capable of playing behind, and so possibly some kind of four-three-two-one formation, but with a lot of fluidity at the front. Yeah, uh, as a neutral, I'd love to see it. I mean, it might take a while to click, but if they do click, yeah, you want to see it. Fun. You want to see it kind of almost just just given a few weeks to see if it would click, don't you? But. Yeah. Uh, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Um, apologies to our um, non-English football or Arsenal fans, but um, I was asked the question, and I've asked the question. So my work here is and done. You've used your privilege. I have. It's my my one time. I flexed <laughs> for Orion. I've asked an Arsenal question. Whatever next. Um, but yes, I think that will uh, do us for this week. Um, obviously, if you have a, if you too have a question. Um, I'm sure there'll be some Newcastle fan asking about St Maximin's gym routine or something for next week. So sure you can get those into us as early as you can but if you do have any uh, genuine or slightly amusing questions you want to ask us in relation to French players abroad or indeed league other do get them into our uh, our Twitter account or by pigeon or however you 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 suggest we we're, we're fine we're easy on that um, but yes uh, we will we will look to cover those as best we can uh, do keep an eye on the site for the latest articles as well um, and of course uh, do subscribe on all the relevant um, channels just a quick footnote actually if you do listen to us on Acast um, then you'll know we're on Acast but if you don't we're on Acast I really screwed that up but yeah. you know what I'm saying here uh, <laughs> a lot of people um, still use different formats and uh, don't realize that Acast you can now get us I know this because I listen to us to hear how bad I am at this job so um, yes you can go and download us on Acast as well as the usual forums if you wish and if you're on a platform um, that you can't get us on and you'd like us to be on uh, let us know we'll, we'll do our best we can't promise but I know a lot of them nowadays you just have to get your URL and that's it so uh, we'll do our best to get on as, uh, as best we can um, but that will do us for now we'll be back uh, at some point next week uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday one of the, th- one of the three I'm sure to cover the weekend's action uh, but just remains for me to thank my panellists for this evening so thank you to Phil to Jez and to Rich thank you all very much thank you thank you and uh, until next week enjoy your French football and we'll speak to you then.